In 2014, Pastor Mark Driscoll abruptly resigned from Mars Hill Church after an investigation found him guilty of arrogance and a pattern of abusive leadership. Then Driscoll moved south to Arizona to start another church. And as my guest will describe today, it's deja vu all over again. Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And joining me today are two men who just recently received cease and desist letters from Mark Driscoll and the Trinity Church. Apparently, Driscoll doesn't want you to hear what these men are going to say, but both of them say they cannot stay silent. They say Driscoll is not running a church, he's running a cult. The Driscoll family is treated like royalty with their own private security team. The church, too, is like a compound with cameras and security everywhere. And if you happen to get on the wrong side of Mark Driscoll and his family, you're not only kicked out of the church, but in one case, a family was surveilled 24-7 by investigators hired by the church. But it gets worse. My guests say upwards of 100 families have recently left the church, and those who haven't gone quietly are now being threatened with litigation. According to my guest, Driscoll has threatened to sue and bankrupt former members, and he has a litigation fund of approximately $10 million. Well, in just a minute, you'll hear from my guests, Chad Fries and Ben Aeneas. Chad was the former head of security at Driscoll's Trinity Church in Phoenix, Arizona, and Ben served on the security detail. But before I speak with them, I want to take a minute to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. Judson is a top-ranked Christian university, providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marquardt of Barrington. Marquardt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marquardt, are men of integrity. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, again, joining me today is Chad Fries, who served as head of security at the Trinity Church. Chad also is an advanced information systems and cybersecurity professional. He's also a retired chief warrant officer with the U.S. Marine Corps, and he's happily married with two teenage daughters. So, Chad, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Julie. Also joining me is Ben Aeneas. Ben was a member of the security team at Trinity. He's also a Romanian-born American citizen who immigrated to the States in the winter of 1987, and his mother's godfather was Richard Warmbrand. You may know Richard from uh, being the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. Ben is currently working at a utility company. He's happily married as well with two daughters. So Ben, welcome and so great to have you join us. Thank you, Julie. So gentlemen, as I mentioned in the open, both of you have received cease and desist orders from the Trinity Church. Clearly, you're not being intimidated or backing down from this issue because you're doing this podcast Chad, let me just start with you. Why do you think it's so important for you to speak out about what's happening at Trinity? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's vitally important that we shine light on the actions that are considered darkness, right? Because I can tell you for the first couple of years that I was just a member at Trinity, I didn't see any of it. Mm -hmm. I never really saw any of the actions that were taking place behind the scenes until 
I started serving in a leadership position as the director of the security team. Started partaking in meetings and conversations with the pastors and staff members and got to see their true behavior and how they talk about people and treat people. And you know, starting with Mark Driscoll himself, how he treats his staff and some of the things that he would say to them. So uh, it's it's important to to shine the light on that. And oftentimes you'll see that concealment, things that are people don't want the public to be aware of, or even their own church congregation, it's concealed. And you know, scripture shows us that, that that is darkness. So um, there's, there's times to bring it to light and there's times to talk about it in private. And we did, we took the Matthew 18 approach. We talked about things in private with the staff members, with the pastors and didn't get anywhere. So we just want to equip people with information so they can make their own informed decision. Well, and you men in many ways are serving as watchmen on the wall, right? You're, you're warning, yet at the same time, I've gotten legal papers. I, I never got a cease and desist. I just got slapped with a lawsuit when <laughs> a megachurch pastor wow. was trying to shut me down. But it's scary still. So, Ben, I mean, it's got to be scary for you to get a, a cease and desist letter threatening a lawsuit. I mean, how are you feeling right now? Um, honestly, I'm actually more upset by it than hmm. scared by it. Uh, I think it has something to do with being raised under a communist regime. I really don't like being bullied um, or accused of things that I clearly didn't do. It doesn't really scare me. It just actually upsets me and it kind of helps. I, I, there's been so many times when I've wanted to just move on because I just don't care enough about him or the stuff he's doing personally mm. um, to keep going. And then something like this happens where I'm like, okay, God, I, I hear you. i I'll continue to tell the truth and move forward with this because this isn't right. This isn't what a church should be or the way that as Christians or just men in general, we should be conducting ourselves. So game on, I guess. <laughs> and I think Driscoll may have messed with the the two wrong men. And I hear you, though. I mean, I, that's kind of my thing. Like when I come up against bullies, it just makes me mad. It makes me want to fight. And I just, I don't like people bullying people. Um, but let me just ask you this, because this is not the first time that Mark Driscoll, you know, this isn't his first rodeo. He had a horrible experience at Mars Hill Church up in Seattle. He was found to be guilty of a pattern of bullying there and abusive behavior. He resigns abruptly and comes down to to Arizona, starts the Trinity Church. I mean... Did you guys not know about what happened at Mars Hill or were you like, eh, I think that was blown out of proportion or, you know, what did you make of that? Let, let me throw that to you, Ben. So I'm actually embarrassed to admit that I didn't look into the prior scandals at all. I lied pride and overconfidence in my ability to read a situation and people hmm. um, to put my family in an unsafe environment. And for that, I've had to apologize to them um, and my wife. And we've even gone as far as apologizing to some of the people from Mars Hill that were brave enough to share their experiences in hopes of helping people avoid experiencing these stories firsthand as opposed to being able to read about them. Hmm. So um, for our part, again, I'm pretty embarrassed to admit that I didn't do any research into Mark and any of his antics up in Seattle. And I just assumed the fact that he had a church meant that he had elders and the fact that he must be restored because, well, he has a church. Um, shame on me. Well, and a lot of people think that way because as believers, we tend to trust. And if you've had an experience of 
knowing godly people, being raised by godly people. I know that was my experience. So I naturally trust, I, I don't anymore. I've seen so much that I, I investigate everything. We, <laughs> When we go to a church now, we, we ask for financial statements. We ask for who's on the board. We ask for how it's run. We want to know the history, but it's it's tough for the average Christian. That's just not something we necessarily do. And Chad, my understanding is that your wife, Mary, she had a positive experience at Mars Hill and, and kind of left before the, the church imploded because she lived up in Seattle for a while. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Yeah. So my wife served in the in the U.S. Navy um, for a little over a decade. And during her time, she was actually stationed up in Seattle. She attended Mars Hill, um, I want to say like 2007, 2008 timeframe for a couple of years. And of course, you know, that was before the, the fall of Mars Hill. And during her time there, she did have a positive experience, you know, but again, she was just the type of individual that attended a normal congregate. It wasn't someone who was actively involved or part of conversations behind the scenes. My wife and I met in 2012. And at that time, I didn't, I didn't even know who Mark Driscoll was. I didn't follow him. I didn't follow Mars Hill, any of that. And then I was coming up on my retirement in the Marines in 2018. So she said, well, let's uh, let's look and move to the Phoenix area. And she knew Mars Hill or that Mark Driscoll was here in the in the valley. And we started listening to the Trinity Church online. So we moved here in November 2018 and started attending Trinity in person the first week we were here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were here for, I'd say, a little over two and a half years total. But the first almost two years at Trinity, it wasn't like what it is now. I mean, Mark, after the sermons, would come out and talk to people, shake hands with people, go around the sanctuary, go out to the lobby. Um, total opposite now, actively avoids people. Something interesting to me, because I investigated James McDonald before I, I mean, I knew about Mark Driscoll, but uh, I've learned a lot more through my own investigation since then, mostly with what he's doing now. But I do know that they were very good friends, and James McDonald was very much a bully, just like Mark Driscoll appears to be. And I remember listening to James McDonald's sermons, and I was at Moody Radio Network at the time. I had a radio show there, and he was one of the programs that we broadcast on Moody Radio. And I remember just saying at the time to my friends, I don't like him. He mocks people. I, I just, yes. you know, even if you disagree with people, you don't have to mock them. That's just not Christian. But there's just something in the way that he behaved that bothered me. And I've seen with Driscoll, you know, the same sort of thing. And this is coming out as as now he's being, you know, sort of the history of Mars Church is being unveiled. Christianity Today is doing a really interesting podcast series uh, on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And there's this hyper-masculinity in Driscoll's preaching that you hear a lot of. And I've heard this from guys who have left the church in Arizona, the Trinity Church. And they've said, yeah, I'd listen to Mark and I'd say, oh, he's kind of an a-hole, you know, but I kind of like that he's that like that. Like, I mean, does it, I mean, Chad, you're a former Marine and I, both of you are on security. So you're kind of men's men kind of thing. I mean, was there a part of his appeal, kind of this hyper-masculinity macho guy? Yes, uh, that does appeal to a lot of people. Being a Marine, I appreciate truth and honesty, sometimes abrasiveness if you're just straightforward instead of kind of beating around the bush and being too sensitive about certain things. And Mark is not that whatsoever. He's, like you said, the hyper-masculinity does come out, um, mock certain types of people 
on stage, even in his sermons. Uh, Real Men on Wednesday nights, that's his men's ministry. It's all about being, I guess, a, a, a macho man, or this is what a real man is like, and this is what the scripture says, how you should be as a man, as a husband, as a father, et cetera. But the way that he delivers that message, a lot of people, especially here in this area, receive that well. And I think that's something that Mark has been is gifted in is studies the demographics of the area. He's all about numbers. It's all Mark talks about his numbers. So talking about Scottsdale or, or Maricopa County being the fastest growing county in the nation and that everyone here is gun toting, whiskey drinking people. And so he talks about that on stage and people would feel that and they're like, yes, I love it. Gung ho, all about it. And especially the men, mm. um, the men get sucked into it and it, it's hard to get out of it because you have that mentality that this is what a real man is like, and this is what I need to follow, and this is who I need to be, and this is how I need to treat my wife, and this is how I need to treat my my children. People are drawn to that. Nobody doubts the fact that Mark is incredibly gifted. He's super smart, um, wicked quick with his uh, with his wit. Uh, his CPU just works faster than most people, and I, mm-hmm. I'll give him that. He's a very talented observer of the human condition. In fact, I think what he's best at is just reading the the zeitgeist. He's able to detect the mood in a room and really pander to that. Um, he's gifted at it. Um, and I fell for it. Coming out of the Northwest, the, you were asking about the brashness and kind of bully t- uh, tactics from the p- pulpit. It was appealing coming out of the Northwest where being a little bit more conservative, um, I was the outcast. I had to be quiet. I, I wasn't allowed to share my beliefs because mm. then I'd be labeled. And all of a sudden, here he is preaching the same things that I believe, and confirmation bias kind of took over. Like it didn't really matter if it was if the tone of it was biblical, if it was a good Christian thing to do. It just felt good to have somebody kind of confirm the fact that, yeah, that's right. I don't think I'm alone in, in feeling that. I mean, Phoenix is the fastest growing place and market in the country, from what I know, and we're all a bunch of transplants from predominantly more liberal areas. And it felt good to be told that we're not crazy. Hmm. And he panders to that. Yeah, absolutely. Let me move to the cease and desist letter that you both recently got. And it it appears that, I mean, you've said a lot of things, Chad, especially you have a, a whole website, deardriscoll.com. And if you haven't seen that, folks, you need to go there and, and take a look. There's so much documented. But it seems like what uh, the church was most upset about were uh, some concerns that you raised about child safety and how a report was handled by the church and how the person who reported what was a concerning child safety, how that person was treated. So, Chad, you were, again, in the room with those discussions. What happened? Everything that they accused me of in that cease and desist letter is false. They accused me of defamatory statements against a certain individual and accused actions with children. I never claimed that. My concern was how the church staff, specifically Pastor Brandon Anderson, how he treated the situation, how he mishandled the situation. You know, we had a, a former security member bring forth concerns that a staff member was having inappropriate relationships with and around children, you know, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And people twisted that and, and changed the topic and changed the narrative. But the biggest concern is that when this individual brought forward his concerns and his wife's concerns, within an hour, the decision was made to kick him and his whole family out of the church before they looked into it, before they brought him in for questioning in, in person that night, 
they had already made the decision. Let's just kick him and his whole family out of here. And there were text messages going around and conversations happening. And a lot of that, again, I'll link those screenshots in my blog there just to show people this is not just hearsay. This is how the situation was handled. So a few hours later that evening, they pulled the individual in with, into a meeting with Brandon Anderson and then Mark Driscoll's personal security detail, which is Mark Sturton and Caleb Glenning. So the three of them pulled the other guy in and questioned him about what his concerns were. This is the reporter, right? He's, he's just trying to blow the whistle. It was. It was the reporter. That's all he was trying to do. And just all he wanted was the church to look into it and immediately, you know, was kicked out. So they pull him in that night, question him and tell him, hey, you're not allowed to be here anymore. You're formally trespassed. You're being kicked off the property, you and your family. But all three of them, Caleb, Mark, and even the, the reporter talked to me that night and shared the same story. They said, you know, he his concern was this, this, and this. And we told him he's lying. He said he's not. I think Brandon even told him, I know this isn't true. I know for a fact. Well, okay, how do you know? Well, because he's babysit my kids before. Okay, that doesn't mean that you know for <laughs> a fact. So uh, oftentimes in situations like this, it's people that are closest to you that are, are hurting kids in any way, any type of abuse. So let's not just dismiss it. Let's actually look into it. So that was the question I had. Why would you immediately go to kicking someone out? To me, that looks very suspicious. Um, again, not accusing, not saying that anyone did anything inappropriate. What I'm saying is, why immediately kick someone out? And then when an individual types an incident report, which was Mark Sturton, who is Driscoll's personal family security lead, he writes an incident report and emails it to me. Ben and I had both just created official formats of incident reports. And I'd ask Brandon, hey, you want me to transpose this information that this individual sent to my Gmail to the official format? And his response was, no, absolutely not. I want nothing in writing. You need to delete it. I want no evidence of it. You, anything in writing with their names, absolutely not. And I kind of questioned that. And his response is, could you, Chad, could you imagine how damaging that would be to Driscoll's name or the Trinity Church? if that information got out? Well, yes, I, I, I do understand that. But the fact of the matter is, it shouldn't be deleted. It needs to be on the official incident report format. We need to formally investigate it with a third party, not investigating your own friends. It's all they're doing, friends looking out for each other. I, I mean, I know in Illinois, pastors are mandated reporters. Are are they not in Arizona? I'm sure they are if if they do have concerns. But Again, their immediate concern was, or their their immediate response is, oh, he's making all this up. It's not credible. It's hmm. not a credible report. I think any report is credible, first of all, and it needs to be looked into. After I resigned and moved on from the church, I called Scottsdale Police Department and I made a report myself. And and even the, the detective on the phone was, okay, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting five weeks later to report this? Or why are you waiting a couple months later, whatever the time frame was? You know, that's a great question because, well, one, I didn't have serious concern that the child situation was of true danger. My concern is how the church didn't handle it properly. Mm -hmm. If they don't handle that properly, what else are they not handling properly? If they're trying to, yeah, delete evidence of that or ask me to destroy reports, what else are they trying to destroy? 
And the flip, the other piece of that is, that I told the detective is, look, you know, I sat in a meeting where Mark Driscoll looked me straight in the face and said, we have millions of dollars, you know, 10, 11 million set aside. We're going to bankrupt people and bleed them dry in court. If anyone ever crosses me, he said, Chad, it's just a numbers game. I guarantee you people run out of money before we do. And I knew, and yeah, and I knew he had made those threats and sent cease and desist letters and who knows what other legal threats from his Mars Hill days. So I made note of that. I made a mental note. He looked me dead in the face and told me that. And mm. so people are a little hesitant to come forward and report things and report abuse and report how he treats them, even staff members. Even pastors that have recently been fired and left are afraid to speak out. Hmm. Um, I pray that that they share their story and when time is right. The actual email that you did get from Mark Sturton is posted. There's some names redacted. There's you have not posted names and naming who the the person who allegedly violated, as I understand, violated church protocol for how to deal with children. That was part of it but you've redacted that name, but it does say on here what some of the accusations were, and then it says resolution. It was made clear to, again, the person who reported, he and his family are no longer welcome at the Trinity Church based on the false accusations. Again, no investigation, but the church determines their false accusations and slander on the character of a member of the Trinity Church staff. That's concerning in and of itself. If there's any, any suspicion or report of anything inappropriate with a child, you do need to report that to, you know, Department of Children and Family Services, police, somebody, the authorities, let them do an investigation. And then you also say when you requested, because again, this is part of the thing with Trinity, right? There's like hardly a place on the entire campus where there's not a camera. Am I right? Yeah, there are cameras everywhere. Okay. And you asked specifically access to those video cameras. You wanted to see because it would be documented if if there were a violation of protocol. It would be right there on the cameras. And you you were told what? I was never told yes. I was never told no. There were a handful of times I asked for copies of the video. And again, keep in mind, I was taking over as their lead cybersecurity guy um, as a volunteer. That's, that's what I do professionally. So I think Ben and I both asked for a copy of the video. We were making the evidence form. We were making the incident report form. And we said, we need to look into this. And I couldn't access any of the cameras at all, even though I was helping the tech team. So Ben, as I understand, you're kind of Chad's right-hand man during this whole thing. So you weren't necessarily in all of the meetings, but you you knew the whistleblower. You knew all the parties involved. What did you observe? So I did know the, the whistleblower. I was also, Chad was sharing information with me at, you know, in the moment. And together we were formulating a plan, like how do we proceed? What, what do we do next? What documentation do we need to gather? Even at the time when this allegation was made, we didn't think it was credible as in we didn't think what was accused actually happened, but we felt like it was important to exonerate the actual staff member by doing a full investigation. That's not something I would ever want a question mark to just hang out there. If it was me, I would want clear evidence stored forever so that even my great grandkids would be able to pull it up and say, nope, he never did that. So I felt like they were doing him a disservice by just kind of brushing it aside like it was something that doesn't even matter. You know, a few weeks after this incident, I sat in another security meeting with all the pastors were in Mark's office. And um, this individual was at the table and he admitted, he said, you know, um, I did mess up. I learned a lot of lessons from this. 
I did not always abide by our policies and procedures. You know, I did violate them on more than one occasion. But the the Mark and the rest of the staff, you know, they they're laughing about it. And they're saying, yeah, it's, this is just an absurdity that anyone would accuse him of that. Hmm. And that's when he shared with me, well, you know, I did I did not stick to our policies and procedures 100. percent Well, in the newsletter that Trinity sent out, they claim in there that you know they have policies and procedures in place for the safety and protection of the children, and we've never had a credible report. I think this is a credible report. Any report is credible, and it needs to be looked into. And then they further they go on and they say, well. We've not had anyone violate these policies and procedures when, in fact, they did. Um, the person in question and being accused admitted to violating policies and procedures on this specific topic about what we were discussing and what is in that cease and desist. So where I'm going with this is, one, they lied in their newsletter. Two, the cease and desist is full of lies. So the day that we were served the cease and desist letter, was the day that Mark Driscoll had R.T. Kendall come preach at Trinity about total forgiveness, all about total forgiveness. We need to forgive those that have wronged us and you know, totally forget about it, let it go. You know, it, the same day that he had that guest, guest um, speaker come preach about this was the same day that we all got served our cease and desist letter. Wow. This, the impact it had to my wife is, my wife and kids is, we were sitting at home and the guy comes to the door of the service, the cease and desist letter. And something that's important to note about my wife is she does suffer from severe anxiety. And when we're served those papers, she immediately had a breakdown. My kids mm-hmm. are scared here at my house. Yeah, kids are terrified. My wife's terrified because we knew that Mark had threatened to bankrupt people, bleed them dry in court, take them for everything they have. Again, back to that conversation, Chad, it's just a numbers game. I will destroy their lives. It's just, it, we, I guarantee people run out of money before we do. So that's the first thing that pops in my wife's mind is we're going to lose our house. We're going to lose everything over a bunch of lies. But even knowing all of that, I prayed with my family through it. My wife on many occasions has asked me, maybe we just take down deardisco.com. Maybe we just stop speaking out. And the more and more that we pray about it, and Ben mentioned this earlier too, the more that we feel like, well, maybe we should just step away from this. Something else pops up. And God reveals something else like this is why you all need to share the truth. Mm. But when you bring something up before Mark Driscoll or the Trinity Church, you're kicked out, as we see happen with this individual here. And this isn't an isolated incident. This happened to several people. I mean, their official trespass list through Scottsdale PD is lengthy, I guarantee you. So (laughs) knowing that they, yeah, they kick people out of church and then they start slandering them. Mm. This person's toxic. They're demonic. They're liars. Everything that they're saying is false. I mean... Even to this day, Pastor Darian Bennett, who leads the men's ministry, is telling people everything on Dear Driscoll is false. It's all fabricated. It's all lies. Chad and Ben are toxic. They're demonic. They're liars. And it's important to note, we were in Darian's chaplaincy program. And to this date, they're, they're lying. They're slandering us. They're saying things that are in the cease and desist letter. I mean, they're even saying things about you, Julie, that shouldn't be said. I, so, I have heard that. Um, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a lesbian feminist, isn't it? They say that, yes, you're a lesbian feminist atheist. They're talking about you <laughs> in the chaplain program, like where wow. you're supposed to be training and developing men to be godly men and chaplains. That's what they're saying uh, not about you, about others, about me. And it's that's what they try to do, though. And that's one of Mark's tactics. And if you look at his study up on cults, that's why there's a comparison between Trinity Church being a cult and led as a cult uh, cult leader. And 
because those traits are there and they're almost identical. Um, if you look at them and talking bad about people that have been kicked out and making the people that are still there think that they're just a bunch of liars and toxic demonic people, when we're the ones coming with, with evidence, we got emails, we got text message, we have things that we haven't even shared yet. That if you if they really want to pursue this legally in court, you know, that'll be the day that we get to reveal everything. So that's why I'm not afraid. I'm looking forward to the extra revelations, but just to set the record straight. Uh, for what was said about me, uh, I am not a lesbian. I've actually been married 35 years. I have two grandkids. I love Jesus, and I'm not even a feminist. So um, those things are not true. But again, that's what happens when you've got a system that has to protect itself. It begins telling lies about other people. One of the first red flags that I understand that you experienced was on February 27th. There was this incident where I understand a man got up on stage. Ben, I believe you were on stage or you, you were the first to come up on stage. Uh, this man, I think, was inebriated. Talk about what happened there and then how, the, how Mark handled it and kind of what that revealed to you. Um, this gentleman rushes the stage, and I was kind of looking over my shoulder to the left, and he came from the right. And so as soon as that happened, I jumped up on stage just to kind of protect Mark and make sure that nothing bad happened. And it was clear that the man was inebriated, he was just asking for prayer. He wasn't threatening in his demeanor and his language. And he wanted somebody to pray for him, which I think is a good thing in a church. Mm. Maybe poor timing, but it wasn't anything uh, hostile or threatening. And so we escorted him off the stage, went out front with him. Uh, we called the police. But after that, everything kind of spiraled. Um, security got ramped way up. Um, I went out to dinner with my wife after church service. And Chad actually came in and was serving as security um, during the youth group, the kids uh, high school group. Mm -hmm. And I'll let him carry the story forward from that point. Brandon had pulled me out front and said, hey, I, I want to talk to you out front. Uh, do you have a minute? Said, sure. You know, so we walk out front of the church again. We step outside and he said, hey, just, you know, the last guy that was the director of security. And I'm, I'm purposely leaving his name out, but I decided to let him go. Uh, he's fired as of tonight because of what happened and we want to hire you full-time to take over as the director of security in a, a full-time paid position. And I clarified, I said, so you want me to leave my current job to come work here full-time? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm going to have to pray about this and think about this because that's a, that's a big commitment, but something just didn't sit right with me when they were offering me this position. So I told Brandon, let me pray about it. Let me talk to my family about it. And we'll see where it goes from there. Wasn't one of the things that uh, one of the leaders of the church communicated to you is that Mark was upset that nobody drew their weapon on this guy. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, so that that was that conversation took place like probably 20 minutes after mine and Brandon's conversation ended. So John Welnick, he comes out the door that leads up to Mark's office. And uh, he came down. I could tell he was really stressed out. And I said, yo, John, what? What's going on? You okay? Yeah, I'm just really stressed out. That's what he told me. So well, why? Why? Why are you stressed? I mean, I know that this incident occurred. I know what happened, but he, I could tell he was really beating himself up about it. And you know, this guy's a former military member as well. He served in the army, and so him being having that type of demeanor, it really caught my attention. Like, why are you acting this way? You normally are way more composed than this. Something is not right. He goes, well, you know. Pastor Mark's really upset with me. Why is he upset with you? 
well, he's, he's mad because I didn't draw my weapon. I, he said, I didn't pull my gun and, um, I put him and his family in danger and I, I should have drawn my weapon and I didn't, I, fro- I kind of froze in the moment. And I said, whoa, 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 hold on. Pastor Mark Driscoll told you that you should have drawn your weapon on that guy. And he said, yeah. And he goes, I probably should have, you know, if this happens again, next time I won't hesitate. And that's when we started, he started asking me about training options and running fire drills and going to the gun range. And I said, John, just, just stop. Like, I don't care what Mark told you he's wrong. And I mean that respectfully as a professional who's handled countless amounts of firearms over the years. And you always want to aim to de-escalate the situation, not escalate no matter what situation you're in. So had you drawn your firearm on stage, you would have immediately escalated through the roof. It's Arizona. Most people in the audience, in the sanctuary, in the congregation are carrying on their own, not even part of security. I'd say probably 50 to 75% of people in the crowd had their weapon on them. And if you're a random dude, they don't know you. Most people don't know you. You pull a weapon. That guy had no weapon. Yeah, he was intoxicated. He was only wanting prayer. He wasn't attacking. He was 15, 20 feet away from Mark. No, absolutely not. You should not have drawn your weapon. And then, like Ben said, that was that day was the pivotal moment that they cranked security from like a zero or a one to a 100. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not just money and support, like fiscal support. It was let's crank the paranoia up to a whole nother level. <laughs> and starting sitting in meetings was mm-hmm. that discussion. Man got on stage. Oh, God, now I have PTSD from my flashback days at Mars Hill, people trying to kill me. And it's like. That wasn't the end of that conversation with John Wellnick. Uh, John Wellnick, Chad, and I ended up having two separate conversations after that fact, uh, ranging over the next couple of weeks. One was during the chaplaincy class that we were all in together, and another one was at the gun range, where he was still questioning whether or not he did the right thing in not pulling his weapon. That's, that's how you set a culture, one that is full of fear, and it creates this environment where if something were to happen, bad things would happen because people are on edge and they're trying to please their master rather than actually use their God-given good sense. And we're not going to draw weapons just willy-nilly because it's a Western movie. Just because we're in Arizona, we don't have to act like we're in a John Wayne movie. Wow. And yeah. and, and had the, the weapons been drawn, again, with people carrying in the service, I mean, it could have been a very dangerous situation. But what you're describing, what I'm hearing you describe is as you say, some paranoia began to set in with Mark. PTSD from Mars Hill, who knows? Although I've heard some descriptions that Mark has given of Mars Hill that I then talked to the executive elders and they're like, that never happened. Like he makes it out like he was, became this target because he was speaking out against, you know, LGBT or something. And they're like, that wasn't what would ha- what was happening. He became a target because he was bullying people in the church. He was abusing people and the internal investigation showed that he was doing these things and he's, he's made it into something totally different. And so talk to me though, about this paranoia that you began to see with Mark, that very first meeting that you had Chad behind closed doors where, where he's with his staff, I think it was eye opening. not just there's language used, there's treatment, of staff members in front of you. Can you describe what that was like? It was truly an eye-opener. Again, I'd been the director for a week and a half. This meeting was uh, Wednesday, March 10th. We went up to Mark's office and um, pretty much every pastor and paid staff member 
in a leadership position, at least was in that meeting. And his, his family, you know, Grace was in there. Uh, Ashley who's the director of Real Faith and his daughter and her husband, Landon Chase, was in there. And they, those people were at the table well, with me, as well as Caleb Glenny and Mark Sturton, who were the personal security detail for Mark Driscoll and his family. We call that the Driscoll detail. Mark Sturton is the head of that. And on an org chart, you would see that Mark reported to me as the director of security, but that never truly happened. And even during my initial meeting with Brandon when I was taken over, he said, you know, Mark's going to report to you, Mark Sturton will, but he's he's leading the, the family personal security detail because he's a post, close family friend that knew them from the Mars Hills days. And this is a church of 2000. And you, what you're describing is you have a personal security detail just for the Driscoll family. And then you've got another security detail of how, how many people were on the security team? It was 30 people large. Um, we added about 25 people in the seven weeks that we were running things. And I don't know what it's at currently. Uh, the minimum number that we wanted for every service was 12. And so we'd have anywhere from eight to 18 people serving during any one service. Okay. So we're talking <laughs> dozens on security, a private detail for just the Driscoll family. This is a church of 2000. I mean, that is a a tremendous amount of security. A church of 2000 spread over several services. Mm-hmm. Just sitting in that meeting with everyone involved, Mark, I'd prepared, I don't know, 10 pages or so of a detailed security plan outline and present to him. And he asked me, he said, okay, Chad, this meeting is yours as the head of security, um, kick it off and run with it. So I passed out the handouts to everyone in the room and I started speaking and not even 30 seconds in, Mark says, he goes, Chad, um, let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I told you, I asked you to run the meeting. Just let me set the stage so you understand where I come from and my background, which I already knew most of his background. But he starts off by, again, just all about numbers. And he said, Chad, just so you know, you know, I'm I'm the largest pastor in the in the Western United States. I have the biggest ministry presence in Southwest United States. I've got millions and millions of people viewing my content online. He said, my episode on like pray.com was downloaded 10 million times in December. He goes on and on with statements like that. It's all I, 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 me, me, me. And that's the very first couple minutes of my meeting with him. And my eyes were truly open to where he preaches on stage. It's all about Jesus. But in reality, the actions behind the scenes are it's all about Driscoll. And I didn't know that that phrase was coined or used during the Mars Hills days. And so I started Googling it. Um, but that's what I started to see right here in this meeting. He was telling me all about him, how great he is, how wonderful he is, how big his presence online is, and how wonderful his ministry is, and how that needs to be protected above everything else. And not once did he say, you know, I'm so thankful that millions of people view my content because I have a great production team. I have a great social media team. I have this, all these people that support it. I brought that up. I mentioned that to him, like, yes. You do have a great presence because of all these volunteers and a few paid staff that are helping you get to that point. But again, it was all about him and all about numbers from the very beginning. Then he says, he shifts it and he said, okay, so from a security perspective, now that you need know like how big I am and how great I am and my ministry <laughs> is and what, we, yeah, what we need to protect, let me give you a little behind the scenes of what I had to go through at Mars Hill. And he says, you know, my family suffers from PTSD. There were Chad, there were times that helicopters were hovering over my house countless hours of the night, which I've since verified that 
yeah, there were helicopters over his house, but not because of him. It's because there was a, a hospital across the freeway from him that had a trauma center with multiple helipads. You start listening to what he says and you can start picking out the lies and how he twists it. You know, he, he's telling me stories about how his former head of security, um, who I've recently have um, made contact with, what tried to kill him, tried to have his family murdered, tried to have his his kids kidnapped in the streets right in front of their house, um, wow. tried to, uh, yeah, his kids were playing in the yard or in the woods and um, people try to attack them and stone them and throw stones at them. And he's telling all this stuff to me. You know, my head is, my former head of security put my address online. I had to move five times. He tried to have people come to our, our house and, and break in and, and hurt my family. And When you talk to the former head of security from Mars Hill, I'm, I'm suspecting here, did he verify these stories? No, they're not true. Okay. It's all fabricated or twisted based off of another story that may have had some truth to it. So no, no one was out to kill him and have him and his family murdered. But what's, what's something that was funny was while he's telling me this story, I noticed Ashley kept looking at me and she and Landon were both sitting there kind of squirming in their chairs. They didn't seem very comfortable at all. And Mark's looking at Grace. He looks at Ashley after he gets done telling me all these stories. And Ashley looks at me and she says, she goes, Chad, it's like this. Everyone wants to be a celebrity, you know, until they are. And <laughs> you just don't know what it's like to be a celebrity and to live this celebrity lifestyle. And once you're a celebrity, everyone's just out to get you and lie about you online and make all these stories up. And I guess that's just what you, you know, that's just the life of a celebrity. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, when you're not a celebrity, most people, Ben and I, Ben can attest to this, we interviewed countless people to join the security team. And Hardly anyone even knew who Mark was. Most people there don't know his history, and they've worked very hard to conceal it. Um, so Mark's sitting there. So back to the story. I just thought that was funny. Like, okay, we're such celebrities, and this is how big and important we are. Um, that was really the driving factor of the conversation was let's protect our status and understand what my family's been through. We've been through such traumatic experiences. And then Mark shifted. And he was very soft-spoken the first, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. Then he got real angry. And he's like, he said, Chad, I, I do not trust a single man on my staff. I don't trust them. Not a single one of them. And sprinkling a few curse words in there. So he's going on and on, Chad. I don't, I don't effing trust any of them. Who knows what, what could happen next? And he's one thing after another. He turns around, looks at Brandon. Now, mind you, Pastor Brandon Anderson sitting on the couch behind him, not even at the table with us. He's behind him. So Mark turns around and he points at Brandon's face and he yells at him. And he's like, you know, this is your effing problem and you better effing fix it. And just cursing him and yelling at him. And Brandon's face turns blood red. And he turns over, looks at me and looks back at Mark. And he says, yes, sir. You know, I got it. We'll fix it. Yes, sir. We'll fix it. He said, that goes for all the men on my staff. Like you all need to get your in order. And all the men in the room are Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever you, whatever you say, sir. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the type of behavior. And I could see that culture and that environment. Again, this is my first meeting. I'm like, wow, everyone's a yes man. They're literally bowing down, doing whatever this guy says. As he's abusing them. I mean, he's using foul language. He's saying he doesn't trust any of them. I mean, didn't even degrade their manhood somewhat. He, he did. Again, putting them down. He doesn't trust them. Um, just basically challenging their manhood, which is what he does on Wednesdays at Real Men, you know, hmm. and uh, the rest of that meeting was just getting into the details of, of security planning and his concerns about 
people were out to get him and his family. I mean, that was a running theme throughout the next two hours of conversation. That's just a glimpse into the world of Mark Driscoll and the Trinity Church. But in part two of my interview with Chad and Ben, you'll hear more about the cult of personality at Trinity and the paranoia of Mark Driscoll. You'll also hear about the spectrum of trust, where church members and staff are actually rated on a scale from zero to 10. Mark briefed the staff on what is called the spectrum of trust from a zero to a 10. The higher you are on the spectrum, the more access you get. And I said, access to what? He said, oh, the access to the Driscolls. The Driscolls are level 10. Then he said, so Chad, you're at like an eight. And he's like, you know, your, your wife may be like a six. Ben is even lower than you, Chad, because he can't get his wife under control. In part two of this series, you'll also hear about the web of celebrity pastors that continue to run cover for Driscoll and platform his ministry. You'll also begin to understand why the problem of Mark Driscoll is not an isolated story of a single abusive and self-serving pastor. It's a story that exposes, once again, the evangelical industrial complex. Part two will release in just a few days, so please be watching for that. Thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and to find me online, just go to julieroy's, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Also, please subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help spread the word about this podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. Hope you have a great day and God bless.